The richer you get, the harder it is to manage your estate. There's lots of moving parts like portfolio diversity, tax mitigation, asset protection, and estate planning. That's why the ultra wealthy use family offices, and that's where Valerity Wealth comes in for you. Run by a former sovereign wealth fund manager, Valerity Wealth brings institutional level expertise to the high paid professional. Let Valerity quarterback your finances. Book your free consultation at ValerityWealth.com. Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com, accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. And first, I want to remind everyone to go to wealthformula.com and pick up a free report on how to legally pay less taxes next year. You might be wishing you had downloaded this report last year as you're starting to look at your tax bill, like most people are this time of the year. Also, if you're an accredited investor, sign up for Investor Club. We still have a little bit of space on the Blee's Luxury Hotel offering that we're doing. You can learn more about that opportunity, I should say, in episode 37 of Wealth Formula Podcast. Now, Investor Club, as many of you know, is where you can get private deal flow. It also happens to be where we can communicate about specific types of things, whether it be tax planning, asset protection, etc., via webinars with some experts in that area. So it's a really good place to be if you are an accredited investor. In terms of the deals, they're not all deals that I'm sponsoring. Some of them are just deals that I really like and I have access to, I know about, and want to share with the rest of my investor group. In fact, at the time of this recording, we have a great opportunity from one of my friends who owns one of the fastest growing mobile home operations in the country. And the offer was essentially to double your money in five years in a note. It was secured by a UCC filing. That was obviously filling up very quickly. But, you know, if you're an accredited investor and you are in Investor Club, let me know if you want me to connect you with that offer. And if it's still around, maybe that's something you can get involved with. At any rate, that's exactly why you want to be part of this exclusive club if you can. So go to wealthformula.com and sign up for Investor Club. You can also shoot me an email if you have specific inquiries at buck at wealthformula.com. Again, in order to get part of any of these deals, though, you have to be part of Investor Club to get access. Now, today, I am going to talk a little bit about business. As you know, if you've been listening to me for a while, I'm not just a real estate guy. Real estate is part of what I do. 
but I'm looking for opportunities. And I would characterize myself first and foremost as a business guy and real estate is one of my businesses. So I don't want to talk about real estate necessarily today, but I really want to focus on is the idea of what makes an ideal business, in my opinion. For me, the ideal business is not one that is necessarily glamorous. You know, I have actually a cosmetic surgery business that is uncomfortably glamorous for me. I'm not a real flashy guy. I've played sort of the part in the past in a former life, but that's not really me. Nevertheless, you know, my plastic cosmetic surgeons do a great job of making people get over their body hangups. And, you know, something like that, you say, well, you're just, you know, you're transforming people, you're making people look different. But listen, it's not just about changing a person's physical appearance. What you understand when you do this kind of thing and when you're in that business is that it is actually more about changing a person's mental state. And that translates into confidence in their lives. So that's really what you're after. And that's why a business like that works. However, a business like that is also very competitive. And if I were starting over today, probably not a business that I would try to grow given the fact that there is so much competition. I will say a shout out to my business operations person, Jeannie, who runs all my businesses, that she is absolutely killing it. And so I'm proud of her. Thanks for doing that, Jeannie. Now, listen, let's get back to this. The ideal business, as we talked about, is not just a business that does good. It is a business where everyone wins and the business makes a difference in the world. Now, I'm not saying that cosmetic surgery makes a difference to the world. And that's why I'm not characterizing it as an ideal business. There's other people on this show that we've had in the past that also fit that bill. I mean, look at Gene Guarino's episode number 29, where he talks about assisted living and in converting homes into assisted living homes. And so that, you know, these elderly people don't have to live in these big, ugly boxes. They can live in you know, houses the way they spent their entire lives in and don't have to all of a sudden go into a sterile Russian looking institution. So, you know, there's lots of opportunity here. And I think this is really important to me right now. I don't like to get very political on this show. But there seems to be, though, an onslaught of hate in this country right now, which is sad. And for some reason, it seems like it's OK to be hateful as long as you put an American flag on your Facebook page. Now, we're better than that. I was actually heartened to see George W. Bush speak out about it last week. This is a, not a political show, but I will say that as a father of three little girls, I'm very concerned about the trajectory of the national rhetoric. And I think that everyone should be, whatever your beliefs may be. I mean, this is not characteristic of what our country is all about. So I want to stay positive and continue to promote people who are doing good things. And don't get me wrong. I am a raging entrepreneur. I'm a capitalist. Right. You guys know that. And we're not going to start interviewing nonprofits on this show. And listen, I have my own nonprofit organization. So, of course, I certainly endorse good causes and nonprofits. But that's not what this show is about. This show is about making money whenever possible. But I also want to continue to showcase people who are making money by doing good because you can do it. In fact, a lot of the problems that the government's trying to solve 
could probably be solved a lot better by putting into the hands of the private sector and letting people figure out solutions to problems because solutions to problems means business. That's what a business is by definition. And in that spirit, when we come back, this week's guest on Wealth Formula Podcast will be Eve Picker of Small Change. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back, everybody. Today, my guest is Eve Picker. Now, she is the founder of Small Change, which is a real estate crowdfunding portal that basically raises funds for meaningful real estate projects that make cities better. So, Eve, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. So, tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, a little bit about your background. Sure. I grew up in Australia and went to architecture school, became an architect, but I had an itch to really learn more about cities rather than just buildings. So I made my way to New York City where I completed masters in urban design, which, you know, urban design is really teaches you how buildings shape and make cities better and really love that program. I think it really made me start to look at cities in different ways. And then I moved to Pittsburgh, which was a very big moment in shaping my life. Because when I arrived in Pittsburgh, it was probably at its very worst moment in time. <laughs> the population here had halved. It was, you know, typical Rust Belt City story where the steel industry had moved south and suburbanization had happened and the city had pretty well emptied out. When was that? Well, that was kind of the worst point was in the early 80s. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say Pittsburgh hasn't recovered. Pittsburgh's a very different city, but it still has a much, much smaller population than it had at its peak, which was almost 700,000. Now we are in the low 300s. But you have to remember that family sizes are different now, so the city's populated a little differently and the jobs here are very different. So it's recovered in a different way to become a different place. But when I arrived here, I didn't really understand what was happening or what had happened and moved into a neighborhood, bought a beautiful old house that was really a steal. Couldn't believe I could afford a house like in that neighborhood and discovered the neighborhood was either sliding downhill or going uphill. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we were right at that moment in time where we could make a difference. So I became involved in helping to form a community development organization. And, you know, those are... CBOs are very, very strong in Pittsburgh. And that's probably the biggest thing I learned here is community development and how it can really help to change and make a place better. So I, I helped organize this bricks and mortar nonprofit. And in the neighborhood I was in, I discovered a lot of like-minded people because the architecture was absolutely gorgeous. So there were a lot of architects in that neighborhood. There were a lot of academics, people who sort of understood the opportunity and weren't 
frightened by being in the city. Sure. And together we started sort of tackling these buildings, vacant buildings and renovating them. And I really fell in love with the process and started buying my own buildings outside the nonprofit and created a small real estate development company called Millwall Productions, where over the course of 15 or so years, I built a very interesting and very satisfying real estate portfolio that was all in underserved neighborhoods in places that no one else wanted to be, all interesting, architecturally significant buildings. And I think all projects that did more than just provided a return on the investment to the neighborhood. And I was really hooked on that. That sounds like that's kind of where this whole idea of small change came from. So tell us about small change. When did you start that? And what's the idea behind that? So essentially what I discovered when I was doing these real estate projects, that it's never about the buildings or the architecture. It's always about the financing. And when you do a project that is like the first of its kind in a neighborhood that banks haven't seen over and over again, it's very difficult to find financing. And that's the sort of real estate development I did. And that's the sort of real estate development we want to support at Small Change. There are many, many projects going on all over the country that are really exciting, really have the ability to provide both a financial return and impactful return that traditional financial institutions won't take a second look at. They don't fall within their very restrictive guidelines. Typically, an appraiser looks at three things just like it. Well, if you're in a neighborhood that hasn't got three things just like it, you're not going to get a bank loan. And that's what I struggled with as a developer. And that's really how small change was born. I I stopped doing real estate development in the mid-2000s in large part because my partner, which who was the city, their funds dried up. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they used community development block grant funding and would repurpose it into developer loans for developers who wanted to work in, in city neighborhoods. But I think the Bush administration really cut back on those funds, and so those funds dried up. So, and quite frankly, if I'd had crowdfunding then, I would have kept going. Right. So small change was born out of essentially a need to continue to do what you were doing now that, you know, the source of the capital for the projects was done, right? It's really born out of an understanding of Mm -hmm. how these projects work and the sort of financing that's missing for many, many developers. Right. Right. Now, small change focused on Pittsburgh or is it all over the place or? Not at all focused. We are a startup. So our first two projects were in Pittsburgh. And that's kind of our network is the deepest. But we have a raise that is live right now on our platform in DC. And we expect the next raise to go live will be in Los Angeles. And then after that, there will be one in New Orleans. Yeah. So we're really being approached by developers who understand the opportunity of this financing. Right. So give us some examples. I know you've had a few deals go through. If you can kind of give us a sense for what some of those things look like. Well, let me just say this. We are also unique in that up till now, we've had accredited offerings only, Regulation D, 506C. But moving forward, we are the first and only approved funding portal, which means that we can operate under the brand new regulations called regulation crowdfunding, and that permits us 
to raise money for developers from anyone over the age of 18. Sure. So we have not done our first offering using regulation crowdfunding yet, but we're expecting to go live with one in one or two weeks. Because of the advertising rules around that regulation, I can't tell you about it. Sure. But it's a very different animal than regulation D. Yeah. So what about some of the regulation D projects that you've done? Can you give us some? Sure. The first one was $100,000 that we raised for a tiny house in Pittsburgh. The goal was to sell the house and we couldn't find a bank to give us construction financing because there were no comparables. It wasn't comparable anywhere in the state that the house is miniature about 350 square feet. So we raised $100,000 from accredited investors and we sold the house within six weeks of completion. And the average return to investors, because we had a note from the single purpose entity to the developer, and the note said that anytime we sell the house in the first year, you will get 7.5% interest. We sold the house so quickly that the return averaged about 32%. Right. Some of the investors right. did not have their, their funds in for very long. So that's one example. Mm-hmm. The second project we did a raise for was a very lovely historic building in a very hot neighborhood in Pittsburgh called Lawrenceville. And this building was owner-occupied and a young developer purchased it and is converting the upper floors into four units and upgrading the retail. So he's basically really going about improving the value of the asset. And we raised just under $250,000 for him. Mm -hmm. So the bank there wanted a fairly substantial equity interest from him that he couldn't come up with on his own. A very nice deal that's moving along very nicely. Right now we have an offering live in D.C. called Marlborough Pike, and the developer has done a lot of work in energy efficiency. It's a very interesting project. They have been working on renovating rather difficult 1980s-style apartment buildings, smaller, smaller apartment complexes. It's actually three buildings. It's 44 units. And He purchased this set of buildings early last year with funds from a bank that has affordable housing covenants on it. So he made a commitment to keep the housing affordable, which is pretty big deal in D.C. where apartment rentals are really, really going up. And his goal was to make the building cash flow better by building in much more energy efficiency. They're going to cover the entire, all of the roofs with solar arrays. They're actually building an additional carport so that they have more room for solar arrays. And they were going to cover the costs of 95% of the utility or electricity with solar energy. Electricity is included in the apartment rent. So that really kind of helped them get the building cash flowing better. But when they purchased the building, they discovered there was not some drug activity in the building. And so with the help of the police, they emptied out half the units and discovered the unit sizes were very, very large. So they went back to HUD and got permission to increase the bedroom count in these units by increasing the cash flow of the building. And they're sort of systematically upgrading these units now, and we're looking for funds to do that. It's a really interesting project because I think they're being very creative in keeping these units affordable and really doing a very nice job of renovating them. Mm -hmm. Do you have a target typical return that 
or is it sort of all over the place in terms of given projects? Well, this particular project and the couple that are coming after it are simply promissory notes or loans to the developer, and the offering is a 10% return. Mm-hmm. And it's, what are they typically, about a year or? Well, there's no typical. Again, Marlborough Pike is probably going to be about a year. The next one in LA is going to be about a year, but there's one I'm looking at in Pittsburgh that will offer a similar return that is probably going to be three years. Yeah. So typically, um, most of the deals that you're looking at structured as notes then, or is there equity plays as well? Or are they, uh, pretty, they are equity you know. plays as well. And the Lawrenceville project is an equity play. It's much more complicated if a developer already has an operating agreement and we have to figure out how to fit the investors into it. So note just becomes a slightly easier tool in some instances, but it's not the only possibility by far. Like I think that we are open to doing projects any number of ways. Yeah. Obviously you're in Pittsburgh and you clearly know what you're doing. You've had a pretty very good track record. How are you going to vet these deals? Like, you know, you have a developer in DC who comes up to you and talks about doing it, you know, this deal. How is that process and what does that look like? Oh, well, we take vetting them very, very seriously. So we have a very long list of, it looks pretty much like bank due diligence. We have a very long list of things that we want to see from a developer that ensures and makes us be certain that they own the property or they have control of the property, that we understand how any other bank loans work, how any other equity positions work. We ask for their corporate structure. They do a, you know, what we call a bad actor check for any of the partners. There's a pretty long list of things that they do. In DC, I actually hired a consultant to take a look at their numbers as backup because I'm not so familiar with the market. And the plan moving forward is as we grow, there are a number of people that we will use that way until we bring someone additional in-house. So whatever we need to do to understand the market, we'll do. Sometimes it's sufficient to look on Trulia or something like that. For example, in, in LA, where we are going to be helping raise money for some forced sale townhouses. And you can look at past sales and really get an understanding of that pretty easily nowadays. But something like this affordable housing project, I did get some help on that just to make sure that the numbers were where they should be. Yeah. And when we do a note through your portal, you typically, are you in first position on the lien or? No, not first position, unfortunately. Mm -hmm usually in behind whatever bank is there. I doubt that any bank would ever let a crowdfunded equity be in first position. Right. Although in this position, you're a note, you're not really equity, right? So Right. We're not equity. Right. So you do have some, I guess, whatever is not covered in the bank part of the lien as collateral. Exactly. That's correct. Right. And we look at that too. So I think the return needs to be commensurate with the risk or the offered return. If the developer can go and get a bank loan for 4 or 5%, they really should do that. This is going to be more expensive for them because the funds they can't find through a bank. Yeah, that makes sense. So, you know, on this show, Eve, we also, we not only have a lot of professionals listening, you know, doctors and lawyers and engineers and all those sorts of types. But we also have a number of real estate investors and some of them are actually involved in development. 
So I'd like to shift a little bit and come at it from a perspective of somebody who has an interesting project and might actually like to get funded. Is it how would they go about that? And what are the criteria that you look for in the types of projects that you're doing that make it a good fit for your portal? We do have a mission, and that is that we really believe that we should focus on projects that make a difference. So it's unlikely that we're going to raise help raise funds for McDonald's in the suburbs. It's probably not a good fit for our portal. Right. But there are plenty of other places where those sorts of projects can get funding. So first of all, we'll just make sure that it's a fit in terms of that impact mission. And then early on, I just like to know the story of the project. Just tell me what you're trying to do and how we would fit in and show me your numbers. I think, you know, that's kind of the first executive summary that we take a look at. And if we've had one or two conversations with a developer and it looks like it's a good fit, then we'll sort of go down the road of much more detail, which would include signing a platform listing agreement, doing a background check, and much more detail about the offering, which lets us write the disclosure documents. So with Regulation D, we create a single-purpose entity. So it's really a two-step raise, if you will. The investors actually invest in our entity, and we write that offering, and we manage the investors and do a tax return every year and send them their K-1s and etc. The developer raises the funds from our entity. It's just a one-step raise. So they don't have to look after the investors, but they have to give us all the information we need to write the disclosure documents. Sure. Then we actually provide them with a questionnaire, which makes it very simple for them. Disclosure is really that. Just tell us all about the project and tell us anything that you'd like your grandmother to know if she wants to, to invest in it. <laughs> right. There you go. Um, yeah. So yeah. it's it's not scary. It's just a neutral accounting of the facts, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the site is, what's the domain name? Smallchange.com. Smallchange.com. And you go there and you can presumably check out the projects that are there and learn a little bit about them. Is that right? Yes, we actually have a, we actually have a learn page with a lot of information on it. If you just want to find out about crowdfunding and what's going on in the interest industry. And if you want to check out past Everything is open to everyone. You can browse the site without joining or subscribing in any way. If you want to take a look at everything right down to the disclosure packet, it's available to you. If you want to invest, you do have to open an account. And what does that involve? Is it just pretty much signing it's very, up? very simple. It's signing up. It's sort of a know your customer process. We have to verify that you're a real person. You have to give us some information, which will eventually go our substitute W-9 form. It's address. Social security number actually isn't collected until you invest, and we never store that on the site. So it's basic information that you would fill in on a W-9 form. There you have it, folks. That is smallchange.com. And certainly check it out. It's another one of uh, socially responsible ways to make a little bit of profit. So, Eve, thank you very much for joining us today. And thank you very much for having me. Now, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Eve Picker. Listen, I admire bootstrap entrepreneurs like her that see opportunity and go for it. What I also like about Eve's business and George Newberry's American Home Preservation is that they show how capitalism and American ingenuity is an extremely powerful force to change lives and communities. 
The answer is not always for the government to throw money at problems. Let the private sector figure out elegant, cost-effective solutions to our problems. They will often do it better and for less money. So that's it for Wealth Formula Podcast today. This is Buck Joffrey. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Worried about saving too little too late for retirement? The Wealth Accelerator may be exactly what you need. With the help of some of the oldest and most reliable insurance companies in the country, Wealth Accelerator allows you to take most of the upside of any good year in the stock market and use bank loans to magnify those returns significantly. And what if the stock market has a bad year? No need to fear. Wealth Accelerator is engineered so you don't participate in the losses of the market, no matter how bad of a year it is. Sounds too good to be true, right? But it's not. It's simply the same financial engineering that the ultra-wealthy have been doing for years. Now it's your turn. Check it out for yourself by going to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com.